0: We just have to, you know, love the person for who they are and and educate ourselves with this disease. It's not something that it's very common in, in an African setting.
1: Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombat, and I spark the hard conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines Or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people. Or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African Podcast. Today, we will be talking about a very important and interesting topic, and that is being a caregiver to an Alzheimer's patient. Basically, we're gonna be talking about the realities that you know caregivers for Alzheimer's patients face. Now, Alzheimer's may or may not be known or at least as popular in our community, either because people really don't want to talk about it or people are just trying to hide it from, you know, the community members of other members of the community. Today, we have Vivian Gang here who will give us perspective and insight on those struggles about giving care to an Alzheimer's patient. And that will be based on her own experience. Now, I call her Auntie Vivian because, you know, I've known her for so long and she's aunties to my very good friend and Auntie Vivian has always been such a pleasure to speak with and I really look forward to having this conversation with her and learning so much about Alzheimer's disease and I hope that the listeners will do the same. So I want to welcome you here Auntie Vivian. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing good. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much for taking the moment to have this conversation with us. And I look forward to learning a lot. Now, I just want to give a disclaimer before we start. We are not professionals. You know, I mean, we both have a healthcare background, but we're not professionals in neurology or anything of that sort. So this is strictly based on experience and we are not out to educate people per se because we're not professionals but we're here to share experiences for people to get that inspiration or at least get some sort of perspective and then go and educate themselves about the disease and educate themselves about what it means to care for someone with that disease so let's just get straight into it can you please introduce yourself to our guests
0: Hi, everybody. And hi, Jabi. Thank you for having me on this podcast. Um, I'm a great listener to this and it's just an opportunity and a privilege to be one of those talking today about a very topic that is so dear and near to me, a topic that I've really experienced and it's still fresh in my mind. Right. Um, as we dive into that, my name is Vivian Gang. I'm a registered nurse with a doctorate degree in nursing and a master's degree in uh, nursing science. I am a clinical nurse manager in one of the hospitals or in one of the units at the Veterans Hospital here in Detroit, Michigan. Mm-hmm. I'm married. It will be 25 years this year. Yay. I have four beautiful children and one grandchild.
1: Now. Oh, Nice, nice. Congratulations, Auntie. I'm super excited for you. You know, I have kind of shared some of your journey when you had some of your, your babies, I think your twins. So, um, and we will talk about that in another episode because it's pretty touching. And it's also going to be a very inspiring story that you're going to share. Now, let's talk about Mama Lucy, who was your mom, who was of blessed memory. And she was the one who had Alzheimer's. Can you just give us a background of, and an introduction about Mama Lucy. Um, Mama
0: Lucy, popularly known by the family and her friends as Malu. yeah, She's my mother. We have, she has three children. I have two elder brothers and I.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She has other children that she inherited from her sisters that passed on earlier on. So she has a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. Um, Mama Lucy is like the baobab in the family. She is the trooper or the go-getter she's just who she is she is that kind of a person that when she puts her heart into something she will do it mm-hmm. she has been very influential she has touched so many lives and she had lived a good life unfortunately Alzheimer's just came and took that away part of it away from her but um so far she lived a good life she retired in 2004-2005 mm-hmm. and um she worked at this uh radio television as a, she started as a secretary and ended up as a journalist. So mm. that's out
1: of how, what my mom is. Wow. Yeah, I personally, I have like some memories about her. You know, when we were in boarding school back home in Cameroon, she always came to visit her niece, who was my best friend, Kimberly. And, you know, we always looked forward to her visit. You know, mama just had a way of making everyone feel welcome you know she just had a way of taking everyone under her wings you know like no discrimination everybody was her child you know so i mean you know every family has one of those powerful aunties like that's how i looked at her as one of those powerful aunties who just demanded respect you know now what were some of your fond memories that you had with her you know even before alzheimer's
0: My mom raised us with a very strong face. She was a disciplinarian. Um, She would not not want us to do the things that she didn't want us to do. my mom used to, she would confront some of my friends, the ones she would not want me to go out with them. She yeah. would confront them and tell them, I don't want to see you with my daughter. So she's <laughs> that kind of a person. She was very strict. And sometimes, yeah. honestly, she lived in Yaoundé and we stayed most, most of the time with our grandma in Bamenda. So when mm-hmm. she comes to Bamenda, we all have to adjust. Yeah. And <laughs> then she going back. So literally, our grandma raised us during the early part of our lives. And um, we're so fond of her. But when my mom comes over to visit us, we will just not, I mean, Everybody was just scared because we didn't know what was coming after. She was such a disciplinarian. We used to call her Margaret Thatcher.
1: So when <laughs> yeah. Around,
0: Thatcher is around. So you, be, you have to adjust and be who you are. Right. Not only for us, her siblings too, where she was so tough with her siblings. I remember yeah. my, aunt, my aunt told me that even when she was in college, my mom beat the hell out of her when she started <laughs> loving cream or maquillage or whatever. Oh my god. No, you cannot do that. So she said she will never forget that uh, that that time. Mm-hmm. Um the fond memories, I have a lot of memories of my mom because when my mom retired, one week after I had my twins, she came over to live with us. So there's so much memories. So my mom has lived with me for like 15 years. Yeah, now. yeah. And um, it's just a blessing to have lived with her and enjoy that time that yeah. I had with her. Yeah, you know, she was basically the cook in the house she yes. to care of my kids she would take care of my she took my friends as if they were her friends she would yeah. call their husbands her son-in-laws yeah and she was just that kind of a person in the community that everybody liked her yeah you know um it is what it is but i still have those i thank that for those memories and i just thank god for blessing me with a woman like that that i had to mm-hmm. you know she raised me up to be a strong woman yeah she raised me up to be an independent woman no matter what she raised us up all yeah. of us me and my siblings are my other the other daughters that she inherited? Yeah, and we are who we are today because of our mom, and we That's give true. her credit for that.
1: Yes, I, I can attest to that. Her cooking was always on point, you know. <laughs> and yeah, even when you had the babies, I remember coming to visit and I saw her. That's the first time I saw her when I came here to America. So, and I think she also just came at that time as well, you know. So I can definitely attest to that. Now, what were the activities or what were the things that she really liked doing?
0: My mom, first of all, she served God with every every ounce of her life. Mm-hmm. Um, she sang in the choir. She was the one of the best auto singers I could think of. She sang with the likes of Peter Isoka and mm-hmm. all of that, They sang in the Congregational Choir in Yaoundé. Mm-hmm. She sang at the NBC choir in Bamenda. So singing was just even during her dementia period. Yeah. That was what was was keeping her alive and just keeping her excited when she hears these gospel songs or whatever. So like I said, she liked that. She liked to travel. She traveled when she came to the US. She would travel all over to see her family. She loved her family so much. And she was that person that likes to gather the family together. When there's any problem, she will want to be the problem solver. She's always there for everybody. And my mom is that kind of a person that if something is at stake, she doesn't mind to step on your toes and go get that thing done and then yeah. come back and say, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's why some people really didn't like that aspect of her, but she was just who she was. And because I knew who that aspect of her, because there's so many things about her that I carry around with me right now. Mm-hmm. But I think I see that part as I mean, if there's if something is at stake, you have to go get get it done. Some mm-hmm. people might not like it, but she was just that trooper in the family that it's just like a piece of everybody left us and just went away because yeah. we always run to her for things that are really crashing up. And she's that man that she'll be the one that will always be able to bring out a solution to a problem that we always had. We yeah. always had, but, you know, she loved to, like I said, she loved to travel. She loved to cook. She loved her grandchildren to death. And that was just a blessing to her. You know, she was all around us. And that was one of the reasons when she was here, she really didn't see any need to go back home. Mm -hmm. Because she was among her kids. And all her grandchildren were here with her as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would only imagine. Now, you know, she was basically the caretaker for your kids, you know. And she was like that strong support system. After I've had a daughter, I wish my mom was here. I mean, she... She cannot be here all the time just because she's working back home in Africa. But honestly, you know, we tend to underestimate the value of help that we have, regardless of who is coming from, because especially with the schedule in this country, it's like almost impossible to have a full time job and not have additional help to take care of kids, you know, so I can only imagine how much of an essence, like how much value she brought to the household you know just her presence but now how did like what signs did she show you know or how did we even come about the diagnosis of Alzheimer's like when did things start you know getting different
0: you know Usually she started forgetting a lot, a lot, and more often. But I took it like you know what <laughs> we always forget. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's part of life. But something she will forget, I will. I wasn't really. I guess I was in denial, Jabi. I think I was in denial because my daughters were very close to her, especially Abigail was like the closest person to my mom. She could blink and tell you what my mom will do the next minute. And my mom, that was her favorite grandchildren, mm-hmm. grandchild. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So when. When she started. Abigail will come and tell me, "Mom, Grandma is reading pictures on the wall. She's talking to people on in, on pictures. She's doing stuff and all that." I just tell her, I "Say get away. That's not my mom, you know, because I know who my mother is." Mm-hmm. So I keep telling. She will come. My nieces will come. Like. Auntie, grandma is, I said, no, that is not her. Because when I go back and I ask, I say, ma, I hear you're reading pictures on the wall. You're talking to pictures. Is that Is that right? She'll be like, how dare them say you that kind of a thing? That's a lie. Or so I usually take it with a pinch of salt. Like, um, mm. that's not my mom. So this day I came back home. I saw the dining table all set up, all like like she was expecting somebody or we're going to have a good dinner or whatever it was. So when I asked her, I'm like, Ma, what is going on? Because I call her Ma. Mm-hmm. I said, Ma, what's going on here? Did you cook or are we having? She said, oh, yeah, I'm having. Some people are coming over. I said, who are they? So she showed me a book. With Medicare people, pictures and showing some pastors. that These pastors are coming. I'm like, I don't know these people. Who are they?
1: Mm. So
0: I said, Ma, this is, you're confused now what is going on so that is when everything dawned on me i'm like oh no this is not good so i said ma do you realize this is a picture if she says she just tried to cover it because that's one of the characteristics of alzheimer's like the early stage of it they'll try to cover stuff up Hmm. when you catch it and you want to ask them they'll be like it's all right i'm fine it's okay just to cover stuff up just to make you not to understand that they're they'll be they're forgetful or they're doing stuff so I went, I brought my husband's picture. I said, do you know this person? She said, oh, of course, that's Francis. I said, can you talk to him? Can he talk to you? He said, no. So I, I realized there was something was not right. So I quickly called her, her primary care physician. I said, I need to bring my mom in. She's behaving some ways. She's forgetting a lot and she's starting talking to pictures. So she said, bring her in. So I went, I took her in and she did a mini mental estate exam that's one of the first exams they'll do for if they suspect that you have Alzheimer's or dementia or whatever. And she failed all of that. Oh my gosh. When she failed it, the lady said, Vivian, I'm sorry to say, we have to start running some tests. We have to do an MRI. So she immediately put her on Namenda and Aricep. Mm -hmm. So I told my brothers, I said, this is what we are facing now. It is not good, but we have to, you know. So we we did all the tests and MRI. So they finally diagnosed her with body dementia, which Mm -hmm. is a degenerative. Dementia generally is degenerative. Degenerative. It takes its course. Mm -hmm. It's not curable. The the Aricep was just not even to cure it. It was just Just, to like slow the progression. Mm-hmm. so um she was on that and um things just it wasn't, I felt like the thing was not working because things from then on, things just started getting worse. Um She would just get up from the house and just walk away. We'll start looking for her. I remember one time I took her to the store and she told me she wanted to use the bath. No, I told her I wanted to use the bath. So mm-hmm. by the time I came out, she had left the store and just Oh my gosh! So I freaked out. I called the police. We were just talking. And by the time we found her way, way, way somewhere away. And when they brought her back, she saw me and she said, that's my daughter. I said, ma, what's going on? So while we got into the car she just she broke out and started crying I think she realized things were not going right she said yeah. instead of going through putting you through all this i might as well die i said no ma you can die on me now. It's not that worse. You know, I'm still here. I'm here to take care of you. So I constantly reassured her that I'm here for you. No matter what, I'm, I will always be there for you. So like I said, it's just kept progressing. There were so many instances that she got lost. One time she went to visit my cousin in Maryland. She got lost for three days, Chubby. Three, oh my gosh. Three days. And one of the third day was a Mother's Day on the Sunday. Oh, That was a Mother's Day gift. It was a horrible situation. She had just, my cousin had just left the house and left her. She said she was watching a Christian channel and she let her she, just to rush to the store and pick up something. She just got up and left. So we started looking and somebody had seen her walking like in a highway and picked her up, took her to the police station. My mom is very eloquent. She's She has a strong power of English. So when mm-hmm. she went to this police station... The way she spoke, they didn't see anything wrong with her. She's like, why are you keep keeping me here? The lady said, I, you're right. I don't know why I'm even keeping you here. So they released her. They oh, let her no. go. And while she went now she started wondering <clears throat> again. Somebody would stop her like, what are you doing? She said, I'm looking for my 13-year-old daughter. She's talking about Abigail. So I guess one one good Samaritan I would say, or one, somebody just picked her up and took her to the hospital. So while she was in that hospital, that's when we started looking. We did flyers. We Posted it on radio, TV, everywhere. It was a nightmare.
1: Oh, my gosh. But
0: thank God, while we posted it on, we started posting it on a different WhatsApp groups and all that. I think somebody that works in the hospital saw it and knew my cousin, Kenneth, and called Kenneth and said, I saw this lady in the hospital yesterday. So Kenneth and my brother quickly left from here, flew into Maryland, and then they went to the hospital and found her. So, you know, at that point, that was when everything just went down because... I mean, how can you believe for three days you don't see your mom, you don't know where she is? I know,
1: in a different state.
0: The whole of that weekend, it rained so much. Oh, my gosh. So I was just crying. I said, maybe she was carried away by water, or somebody must have taken her, or, or she was killed. All I was begging God, At the third day I said, I just need to see my mom's cups. I just need to bury my mother. Please. Oh, my God. Show me where her cups is. And while I was praying, one of my cousins came to my house that Sunday afternoon with all of her kids. She has five children. They were all praying and said, Grandma, we need you back. And immediately she left. They called me and said, oh, they found mom, they found mom. I said, "Where?" alive or dead? They said alive. So I went down on my knees. Mm. I was just thinking that. I said, well. So finally she came, we brought her back to Michigan. And, you know, it was, it started becoming, I would not say a burden, but something that Yeah, we had challenge. To Yes, yeah. A challenge. Thank you. We had to rearrange our lives. We had to rearrange everything. Lock
1: the doors. Had.
0: Exactly. Oh. My brother had to come and do all of that. Change some <clears throat> locks and lock the doors. I had to put security cameras just so you know we don't we don't lose her. And that's how our life just went went down. And well, you know what? In all of this, I keep telling my brother it was a privilege for us to have taken care of her. Yeah, we did that with so much. Crazy. It was an so honor. Much- yes. So I don't regret it. I don't doubt it. And I and I thank God that I am. I was in. The, I'm in the field that I am. That I did the best that I could. Yeah. At that time for mom.
1: Wow. That is um. That's that's pretty crazy. I cannot imagine the mental stress that it had on you guys and even on her because it's just like having your family member getting lost like every couple of weeks or every couple of days like that that is so traumatizing that is extremely traumatizing it's like going through the same thing over and over and over again you know now I want to give our listeners perspective on how fast or at least the a typical example of how fast this disease progresses, right? So let's give a timeline. So when she started showing those signs and symptoms, what year was that? that or was at least what month? 2018. Okay. And by the time she was diagnosed and, you know, she started getting really lost and stuff, how long afterwards was that?
0: 2019. 2019. About a year
1: after. Wow. Wow. Okay. So how like in addition to those changes that you guys made, right? Like how did this disease start progressing to the point that you know, you guys had to make like certain drastic decisions?
0: All right, when she got yeah. finally got diagnosed in twenty nineteen, not twenty eighteen, when we started seeing all those changes. Um, I told my brothers, I said, you know what, let's give her let's give her, her flowers when she's still alive. We have to do celebrate her life. Mm-hmm. She, at least she can still remember some stuff now. So In 2019, we had a huge celebration for her where family from all over this country came in and we celebrated her. When she came back home, thank God she realized she remembered all of that. When she came Mm -hmm. back home, she called the three of us and said, you know what? When I die, you guys don't have to do anything. You guys have celebrated I me. Mean, it's like I got married, I got celebrated, I got, you know, it was a huge celebration, which I think that's what we should always do as children to appreciate our parents. We mm-hmm. should wait for them to die before we do the befitting barrier that we always mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. I guess that was her befitting that we could give at yeah. that time. So after we did that, things started going down. And um we decided she kept one of the things that she kept always telling me I want to go home I want to go home sometimes a lot of times she'll pack her things and put them in the hallway I have to go I have to go I'll get into her room Use take like hours repack them on you know unpack her bags put her hang her stuff and all that if I get back from work everything is back in the back so I told my brothers I said let's give her that opportunity let's send her home mm-hmm. let her go to see her sister see her siblings see her house the mm-hmm. house that she was building she started building the house and we're going to complete the house so she could move in that was the plan at that time But mm-hmm. so because she started exhibiting those um traits and getting lost and all that i told my brother there's no use for us mm-hmm. to do anything mm-hmm. because she he, she wasn't even going to live there anyway and mm-hmm. her house was like closest to uh to a highway and yeah. i was telling him i don't want her to get up and go get i prefer my mom to sleep on the bed and die than to be heated yeah okay so yeah.
1: Uh,
0: so i told them i said let's send her home let's have a visit for some time and then we'll, we'll bring her back so we we took that decision 2019 early 2019 I think after that diagnosis we sent her home had a nanny she went and stayed with my aunt in Limbe for almost a year um she stayed there and I started missing my mom I told my brothers I need her back so went home and brought her back so on no one of my my mandate my aunt was traveling back to cam back to the U.S. Mm -hmm. so we had to buy a ticket for them to travel so they traveled. My brother flew from Michigan to go pick her up from um, Maryland because they landed in Maryland. They had to spend a night there. From there, then they'll travel or fly the next morning. Unfortunately. She, they arrived, they, were, they took pictures, sent us pictures. We greeted on videos and all that. And then when they slept that night, she got up, got confused, didn't know where she was, and then she fell off the staircase. Oh. She fell up from upstairs all the way down. So my oh brother my said gosh. when she he got up, found her there, bumped everywhere. Well, he said he didn't want to take her to the ER immediately because her, their flight was that morning. And, you know, it's out of state. We didn't want to deal with all of that. Mm-hmm. So... They, took, they boarded the flight, landed in Michigan. I went to the airport to pick her. Oh, my God. Her face was swollen. Everywhere oh. was Turning. I, I I hear and there. I'm like, ma, what is going on? So my brother said she fell. So I took her straight to the hospital, the hospital to the emergency. And unfortunately, you know, the, that time was during that COVID time. People, everything was going on. Oh, yeah. So she was admitted in the hospital. My brother, that's the hospital where my elder brother works. So you know, they did the best they could. And then things just started going down. My mom, from that three weeks that she spent there and went to the rehab, oh my god, she ended up becoming incontinent of everything. Oh my god, she wasn't that before. So because she would lay in the hospital bed and say, "I want to use the bathroom," they would say, "pee on yourself," we'll clean you up. So she became comfortable doing that. So by the time I brought her back home, that was when everything broke loose. But hey, I said, "I'm a I'm a healthcare professional." My 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 middle brother said, "I've never done this before." I said, "We all will learn it. We mm-hmm. have to do it." Mm-hmm. So. We came home with her and we started taking turns to, you know, take care of her needs, her physical needs. And Mm -hmm. it became a little overwhelming for all of us because we work and all of that. We had to readjust a lot of stuff with the kids to going Mm -hmm. to school. So we decided to hire some help, come home and walk like for eight hours when we'll be out of the house and mm-hmm. then we'll come back, we can take over from there. Well, my mom felt so violated. Yeah. She, that was something she never wanted or thought would ever happen. So mm-hmm. she will fight you to the last. She will beat you up and hit you when oh. you want to touch her. And you know, she's wet. She has everything going on. You want to clean her, she will not let you. Just because she didn't want us to. I yeah. Mean, she's... Children trying to clean you yeah. up, you know? Yeah, yeah. So these girls will come. The first one came, will not stay like a mom is too aggressive. The second one came, I'll come back from work and see my mom still lying in her poop and pee and all that. Like, why didn't you clean house? She will not let me. Oh. The third one, so we started having I told my brother, no, with that, I'm not I'm not gonna deal with that. We have to draw our schedule. We all have to take turns and do this. You know, this is our mother. She, it's not working with these girls. Coming in here, it's not working. Mm-hmm. So we did that. My elder brother really was of the po- opinion that we should go keep her in an assisted living where we can go there and, you know, and take care of her. And just just so we can have a life too. Mm-hmm. But I really didn't like it because I've worked in those places and I know how they treat people. And especially my mom fighting, they would just abandon her or don't give her medications to knock her to sleep. And I just didn't want her to go through all of that. My other brother said, that is, that is, that is a dead zone right there. So it was like differences in decisions. I know. So we decided to, I think during in August of 2020, when she got here. My niece was getting married in New Mexico. We all had to go for that for that wedding. So I told them, I said, okay, let's do a trial. Let's send her to a, an assisted living for a week
1: mm-hmm. and see
0: how they'll manage it. If they'll manage it well, then I'll, do, I'll, 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 I'll think about that. So we did it. We put her in one of the ones that is like very close to my house. So I could pop in and pop out and see my mom. So we left her there, went for a week. When we came back, I just went there unannounced. Just went there to see my mom because immediately we arrived, dropped my stuff. I haven't seen my mom for a week. So I went there. Man, the condition, I saw my mom. Oh, my God. So... She was, I mean, the place is beautiful. The room is large, has everything you want to have. You know, when we went there and my my aunts, they saw the place. I was like, this is the place to be. I say, you know what? I don't look at this building as it is. Mm. I want to see the care that they will give to her. That's what matters to me. So when I did that surprise visit, I just saw what I didn't want to see. My mom had been sitting on that chair, I guess, for the whole day. She, The TV was on another side. She was just sitting like with her hand, just looking so I mean, I was yeah. like, what is going on? And I was there with my daughters. So I, I said, ma, I could smell pee. So I said, get up, let me go change you. So when we got up, the diaper just dropped out of her tooth. And every the chair she was sitting was soaking wet. I told, I, I bust out and I started crying. I'm like, oh my God, what did I just do to my mom? So I took her, when the girls saw that I had come in, they rushed over to tell me, oh, we want to, we're want we planning to come take care of her and all that. I said, okay. So I let them take her in. I thought they was going to give her a shower or just clean her well. But by the time I got in there, they were already putting another diaper in her. That's when I, I lost it. I said, you know what? You guys just get out of here before I curse you people out because I was at that point, I was already crying. So I gave my mom a shower. I realized she was almost having a stage two on her bottom. I'm like, mm-hmm. hell no i mean nurses this will not happen. So that's And a stage way, two,
1: the, for those who don't know, it's like an ulcer, you know, from sitting for too long, right? Or yes. just contact for being in yes. a position in too, for too long. Yeah,
0: for sitting for too long yeah. and then when she pees and it doesn't help, it breaks the skin. Like, yeah. Really so the next day, I didn't even let the next day, I just told my, went to this nurse station, I told them I'm taking my mom home. They'll be like, what? I said, yeah. Just do AMA, whatever you want, uh, you know, against medical, but whatever it is. My mom is not sleeping here one extra day. So I took, we packed mom, my, my daughters and I, we packed her stuff and we took her back home. And, um, you know, that was when, like I said, I have my cousins, Therese is in North Carolina, Blessing is in Maryland. They will come in, you know, quite often to relieve us, to help. Mm-hmm. Let's say we take like a week of work, come and stay with us while we can do other stuff for ourselves. The rest would come. They were taking turns and all of that. We had other family members that came in or they'll call just to, you know, encourage us and just to give us the kudos for what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So when my m- mom started getting to a point where there were instances where my mom would not even recognize who I was. I would stand in front of her and say, Ma. This is your daughter. You are not my daughter. Get away from me. And she will hit me. Oh, my me gosh. I fall on her. I want to give her a hug. She will push me away. Oh, my God. My heart was, it was just so heartbreaking. But, you know, I kept telling myself, Ma, I'm your daughter. It, the, the best thing you have to do to people like that, they don't mean bad. Yeah, yeah. Like that. It's just a disease that is is handling them. And there are sometimes, it's like they go in and out. So sometimes when mom is with it, you see her crying and apologizing oh I didn't mean to do that oh I didn't mean I remember one time when she beat me and blood was actually running out of my hand I said Ma you just beat me and I started crying she said oh baby I'm sorry I'm sorry I said yeah I understand Ma you didn't mean to do that you just have to you know be in line with I I, I just I just put on my nursing cap on like those certain times that Like I said, there was a time that she beat me and, you know, Mm -hmm. she broke my brother's finger when she was fighting. Like all of that is just fighting to, I guess, I think to maintain her dignity. Why are you people digging into me? Why are you touching me in my private part? Why are you cleaning me up and all of that? So there was a time like I was so scared to take her anywhere because I was scared of abuse, the way she was getting aggressive. Like if she wasn't my mom, honestly as a human being you would think like when she hits you you want to hit her back mm-hmm. but when i said no you can do this that's your mom <laughs> you know we're taught never to do something like that that's mm-hmm. that's like a curse mm-hmm. so i would take every beating and just say ma you just beat me or you just hit me you just sometimes you say yes i did it you can go and die i said "Ma, daddy you know it was just yeah. so much going on i remember my brother had to go to the hospital with, her, with his finger broken and all of that and then my brother had so many scratches on his back. You, like you bend down one and clean or whatever, he will be hitting and scratching. All of that happened, but we took it with grace. We still do that. People didn't know what we are going through, but we went through so much. But like I said, it's an honor that my mom, she single-handedly took care of us as her children and she raised yeah. us well, I would say. So it was her turn to give back. I mean, change of roles, it happened, but it is what it is. And um, we couldn't have done less than what we did to take mom through this journey that she had.
1: Oh my gosh. (sighs) Like, this is so heartbreaking to hear. Like, it's so heartbreaking because... I can imagine the chaos that this whole experience brought to your family, to your mental health, to your emotional health. And when I even say family, like to your immediate family, like you and your kids, and then that's your household, and then with your brothers as well. Because things like this could even break up families in terms of like, you can even get, you know, if... If your brothers were not as understanding, you guys can even like have fights because these are things that everybody's trying to bring in a suggestion like, oh, let's do this with her. No, let's do this with her. Let's do this with her because everyone is trying to preserve their sanity or preserve at least their lifestyle that they're not necessarily having the same lifestyle as before, but at least just trying to have some kind of stability or some kind of normalcy in the daily routine because this is literally like something that you... If you really think about it, it's like if mama really had to get like the optimal care that you guys were expecting her to get, one cannot have a full time job while taking care of her. And even if you're taking care of her full time with all the aggression and everything, you probably need a break at some point, you know, because it's not only physically traumatizing from the wounds and the blood and all of that but it's so emotionally traumatizing to know that this is like your own mother who's treating Mm -hmm. you this way or Mm -hmm. at least this is like a different person you can you don't even know who this person is but then you just have to stick it up because that's your mother right and she doesn't know what she's doing you know and it's it's so heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking it yeah, on all it levels.
0: It did, it did break us a couple of times. Not a couple. So many times we had quarrels and fight with my brothers, but I stood yeah. my ground. You know, I stood yeah. my ground. This is my mother. I have to always remind them. Like, um what one of them will say i'm busy or i'm traveling i'm this i said no we are all in this together yeah we cannot do what we're supposed to do today is my day tomorrow is your day yeah and my you know we all have a life i said if it means us calling off taking off work sometimes we have to because we have we to. I take off work yeah. when i get ready to go to work and she's there was one day i was getting ready to go to work i came downstairs she wasn't there she and she had wandered out. Oh so I had to gosh. call off work and go look for my mom. That's the most important thing. So I went out looking for her and realized that they never had called the police. And you know, and I went in there, they had already strapped her in the bed. And I said, please, this is my mother. I'm a nurse. Please don't take her. So I gave her back to me and I took her home. So those are some of the things that we went through with her. And um, it is what it is. We had our fights. Even taking her to home was not a unanimous agreement between the three of us. Yeah, But two of us realized that that was the best option for her. My other brother didn't really like it. She did, he really fought against it, but I told him and said, "We are not taking her like we are dumping her or we are yeah trying yeah her. We just need her to go see her family and see it's not about us. It's about her and her own life. Yeah. So the better we come into agreement with this, the better. For, the earlier the better for all of us. So we came to a final conclusion that yeah, let's take her. Like I said, if we knew that she was gonna die, that like three and a half months after I took her there, I honestly wouldn't have, but it is what it is. Um, Yeah.
1: And actually, even before we go into the, you know, the after effects of like, or just the whole experience from your own side, like in terms of how you handled it and how you coped and what the things you did to encourage yourself and all of that. Like, so when did you finally take her again back to Cameroon? Like what happened afterwards till her, you know, passing we
0: landed in Cameroon 1st of December 2021. We stopped over at my aunt's in Limbe
1: and then. And what we led went. to that decision finally of taking her back home?
0: We decided to take her back home because she was here. It's like she comes down, we give her a shower, she comes down, we feed her, she eats and she watches TV and everybody's doing their thing. I said, this is, there's no interaction. Yeah, my brother, other brother will come in, take her, they go out for a walk and bring her back and they go. So, and then sometimes I'll come in the evening. We all have dinner because usually we're all having dinner in my house. My brothers will come by, we'll have Mm -hmm. dinner with her. She loves to drink her glass of wine. We Mm -hmm. give, you know, and all of that. So we finally, I told them, I said, this is not life for this woman. Just sitting here and watch TV all day. And then we come in the evening. We have lived with her. We have enjoyed her. Our life for her, because the doctors had, um, advised us to take her to her to her old environment where mm-hmm. she has her friends and family that she that might make it a little better or exciting for her. Mm-hmm. So finally, when we decided, that, and it was it was a good decision we took. As much as I have that little regret in me because when she went, the, I took her there and I stayed with her for three weeks. We had to, you know, with the political crisis in Cameroon, she could not go to her house, mm-hmm. so we rented a house upstation for her. We got two nannies that were there. Her sisters. Were staying with her on and off and siblings nieces and all of that were coming so she got to see even her aunt her mom's sisters that came Mm -hmm. over her cousins her stepsisters because we have this polygamous family Mm -hmm. so she got to see all of that and during the three weeks when I was there she could remember each and every one of them and I took pictures and videos and memories of all of that so I think that was a good decision for her Uh, but when after I left because when I went there I had to get a neurologist in, in, in the picture. Yeah. I got to a primary care doctor, laid everything out, got a neurologist and I had this neurologist come visit her at home every three weeks just to monitor her medications, monitor, monitor her state of things. And, you know, and I told him we're, we're nurse practitioners. my brother is a nurse, is a nurse as well. So we're working with him. No, I don't want this medication. I don't want this. So that's how we worked with him for the three and a half months where mom was in the hospital with him. So mm-hmm. um, he will come to the house and visit mom and you know to give us feedback of what is going on, draw the labs, and tell us what it was. So she she had a good care when she was there. I hired two girls that um, stayed behind the house of my aunt just so you don't overwhelm them yeah. for what it was. So it is what it is. So yeah.
1: Wow, wow, wow. And then you took her there, and then she passed on like three months later,
0: three and a half months later. Okay. We landed in on the first of December. She died on the fifteenth of March. Wow. So. Two weeks to when she was passed, I started realizing from the videos because I would call her almost every day, mm-hmm. I started realizing she was she was deteriorating, and I was asking myself, should I go get her? But at that point, she was not able to walk, but she was she had a wheelchair. She was on a the wheelchair. They could just pivot her and put her in bed, pivot her, put her there, take her mm-hmm. to the bathroom. And, but she could talk. She not talk like fluently, but she could say yes, no, I don't want this, I want that. So during conversations with her, I guess my mom was. She will not look at my face when mm. I'm talking. She'll be looking at somewhere else. Ma, look at me. Why are you not talking to me or, and all of that? Well, when I start singing, she would take the phone and just put it on her ear because I sing well too. Mm-hmm. So she would just take the phone and I'll just keep going and going and she'll be listening. So that was her therapy. And I did everything. I'll post mm-hmm. out songs or when I go on YouTube, I get songs. I'll just send them to the lady that was taking care of her. Her name is Sandra. Bless her heart. Mm-hmm. So that was what I bought this whatever tape they do with uh, drum drive so I taped so many songs in there mm-hmm. that was what she was listening and that was one of the things and then she had pictures that she was looking at and those are the things that the doctors recommended that will keep mm-hmm. her you know keep her mind sane or whatever I'll call it sane. But will keep her going or will try to you know excite her mm-hmm. when I realized the last two weeks that I felt she was depressed, which I yeah. really should have put her on some antidepressants. But because of that aggression and all that, we gave her some psychotic medications too, which when she went back to Cameroon and she, she was not really, she exhibited that once when she beat one of the girls and I told her, Say ma, you cannot do this. I'm leaving you here. And if you do this, these girls will kill you. I'm begging you because you never know. Yeah. You're leaving your mom with people, you, you know, you just mm-hmm. hired. That they might. You don't. Know, if she does that, they will beat. I mean, she yeah. beat me until I was even thinking. I say, if you are not my mom, I'll beat you back. But you know, so when I said that that day with a very stern voice, and I was almost crying, I said, "You cannot do this. I'm leaving you here. I feel like putting cameras, but I don't want to put cameras because if I see them hurting you, what else can I do? Mm-hmm. So, you, so it's like she heard that voice when I said it, and she calmed down. And since that day, she never raised her hand on those girls. So the day, so. Going towards that, I think five days to when she passed, I had I had called that day before, and we had you, I don't I would just keep talking and just singing and talking and singing just to you know keep a conversation going. The lady, the girl had told me she wasn't eating as much, and I was uh, asking if they have ensure or boost or whatever for her. She could drink well, so it started. Change, things were starting. I was like, what should I do? So I was actually my brother was thinking of just flying into in to go visit her. Mm -hmm. So when I talked about the kind of food she had to eat that night, I dreamt about her. She came and met me in church in that dream. Mm -hmm. She met me in church. She was so sad. She sat in a position where she knew I was going to see her. That's in my, that's my own description of what I saw. Mm -hmm. So when I turned around and I saw her, I ran quickly over to her, grabbed her, fell on her. And I was, I started crying. I said, ma, why do you look like that? You don't look happy. You don't look well. What's going on? So after that dream, I quickly got out of that dream and I ran into my aunt's room. I started crying. I said, "I don't like the way I saw mom in that dream. I don't like the way I saw my mom." I, so I was just crying. My aunt started crying with me. So um, I took my phone and I called Sandra, who is the lady that took care of mom. I said, "Let me. I need to talk to mom." So she put the phone on the video and I saw her. Say, "Ma, you don't have to come to me in a dream. Um, what is going on?" I don't like the way I saw you. But she would not look at my face. My mom's face was on the ground. I would say, Sandra, pick her face up. My mom would turn her face away. I don't know what all of that was, but it was what it is. So I, I cried. I talked to her, cried. And I said, OK, Sandra, I have to go to work. So came back, called again. And you know we just kept going. And then the day she would pass, um, Sandra told me she had gotten up that morning, greeted her took her to the bathroom, gave her a shower, Mm -hmm. put her on a chair, and they came back to the living room. She had a little bit, and so she put on TV, and they were watching TV. So she just saw her slumped. She slumped on the chair. So she jumped up and said, Malu, why are you behaving like this? Are you okay? But she saw she was looking funny. So she quickly called me. I had just gotten into my office and... um. I saw that call. Usually she would text me or, you know, put, send me a voicemail. But that mm-hmm. call, I'm like, I don't like this call. So I quickly called her back. So when I called her on video, I'm like, what is going on? She said, mama is not doing well. We are putting her in a, I saw them putting her in a taxi, like trying to shovel her in the car. So I asked her, who are you with in the house? She said, I'm all by myself. I said, okay, drop the phone. I'm going to call my aunt. My aunt was downtown. They were, she was going to the park to go to another funeral in Yaounde. my uncle's mother in law So I quickly called her and said, and you can go. So just meet Sandra in the hospital. Sandra is, in the, is on her way to the hospital. I called my daughter too. So they all went to the hospital. So I, in that state in my office, I was just like, oh my God, what did I just see? Oh my God, I pray my mom is not dying. So I'm dying. So I quickly called my brothers. I'm like, we have an emergency here. They're taking mom to the hospital. I don't know what's going on. So we started calling left, right and center. So I went out of my office, tried to just take my mind off of that, came back into the office and my daughter just called and put the video right on my mom's face. My mom had just passed in that car. Hmm. At that point, I was numb, so numb, just, just looking, like seriously. So one of my colleagues came in and said, who is that? What's that? I said, that's my mom. He just passed. He's like, are you kidding me? So he ran and called my director and he, she came in and just said, just pack your things and go home. So she asked me, do you have anybody to pick you, to take you home? I lied. I said, yeah, I just did not want no distraction. So I drove myself home, missed a lot of exits and all that, crying and calling people and just, you know, that's where it finally dawned on me that my mom finally, you know. So when I got home, um, she was still in a taxi there. So my daughter just put a video. I said, just hold it. I cried with her, cried on that video, but mm. I was thanking her. I say, Ma, thank you so much for giving your life to us. Thank you for being our mother. Thank you. You might have died with whatever you died, but I don't define you with no dementia. I don't care what it was, but you were such a wonderful mother. You yeah. took good care of us despite everything. You sacrificed your life for us and I'm sorry that you're dying. I'm not there. I, I always knew that you would die in my hands, but I never saw this coming. You yeah. know? Um, I had like a good five minutes talk and cry with her. They just let the camera rolling. And um I think I needed that time with her. Yeah. I saw her lying there dead, dead. So they called the doctor. They actually um declared her dead in the car. So no point taking her into the into the hospital. She's already dead. So when I just need them to, you know, confirm her and then because they need all the paperwork and all that. So and then from there they took her
1: to the mortuary. Um Wow. Wow wow wow. Um yeah, it's it's um I'm taking the story different cuz I knew her and this is actually the very first I feel like this is our moment that we're catching up and I'm literally hearing about this and it's um it's it's it it just breaks my heart Auntie. I'm so sorry that you know you guys went through all of that, you know. Like we had spoken off record, you know, she is definitely resting. She's definitely in a better place. For someone who was so vibrant, someone who was so energetic, it's so unfortunate how a disease could literally change her life, change the trajectory of her life and even your lives, you know. I really want to thank you for sharing that story and for sharing your experience. I'm even thinking that a lot of people that were even close to you, probably don't know that that's what you guys were going through. You know, um, I really want us to go deeper into this conversation for you to give the listeners like a clear perspective of how this disease can impact a caretaker. You know, like I was saying, it must have caused a lot of conflict interrelational conflict, even personal conflict, or, you know, I'm sure there were some times that you were even doubting yourself, like, am I doing the most that I can? You probably were feeling guilty, you know, when you had to make, you know, I would not even say selfish decisions, when you had to make rational decisions, you know, um, I mean, I I don't even want to think about how that impacted your children as well, especially Abigail, who was like the closest to her. You know, they were probably very young to even understand what was going on. That was the first encounter. When I was young, when I was like maybe, maybe 14, 13, 14, I lost my grandpa. My grandpa had Alzheimer's, but he had other things. We always say he died from a broken heart because he died like three weeks after my grandma died. But the Alzheimer's was not that bad. It's not what killed him, for sure. It was getting worse, but it's not what killed him. But And he was living with us, actually. He died in our house back home in Cameroon. But um, the memory that I had of him when I was a teenager, especially during his last days, the memory that I have of him when he had Alzheimer's, he also was very fond of just walking out of the house and we were going to look for him, like, all day. But thankfully, we were living in a very small community and it was in the suburbs, like, really, really... Far away from the town. So it was very easy for someone to identify him. And my parents were well known in the community. It was very easy. Like neighbors and people were always bringing him back home, you know. But here in America, it's like such a huge community. And people, you know, there's not that sense of community per se. You know, even if you have your African community, like you guys probably live like 45 minutes, one hour away from each other. You know, it's not like it's a totally different setup here. So to have like a relative, especially with the craziness that's going on in our time and age, to have a relative just getting lost all the time, that is extremely traumatizing. It's like you can't even have peace of mind because you're either freaking out that your mother is nowhere to be found or you were very, very anxious and nervous that she's, she could walk out any time. She could, you know, leave at any time. So I can only imagine the struggles that you were going through with your family, and even with yourself internally. So how did this impact the children and the members of the household?
0: It, it impacted us a lot. It did a lot of, alcoholic damage emotionally. Yeah. Because the kids, like you say, Abigail was so close to my mom. Um, when mom, like during the holidays where her friends will go get a job, you know, at 15, 16, you want to have a job, but she would tell me, Mom, mm-hmm. I can't have a job because I have to stay with grandma. So mm-hmm. she was that part of grandma that, you know. Uh, so when mom died, she took it really, really hard. That is the closest relative that had died. I mean, I have cousins yeah. that, other relatives that might have died, but that that was not close. I was not a close call for them. Mm-hmm. So this was really a close call for her because this is somebody, she always would tell me my grandma raised, which is yeah. true. Your grandma raised her. So I remember when it all happened, when I left my office and I, and I was getting into my car, the first person I called was my husband. Bless his heart. He was, I mean, my husband treated my mom more than the way he would even treat his own mom. Mm-hmm. He was the one that would get up and make breakfast for my mom. He would be the one. And, but the only thing I told my husband not to do was to change my mom's type. Yeah. I said, I need my mom to maintain her dignity in that way. You yeah. would do anything for my mom, but no matter where I am, please call me. If she has a bowel movement or she's wet or whatever, I need to be home to change it. You cannot get into that part of my mother. And thank God he heard it and he kept that to himself. So he'll get up in the morning. He's the one that will make my mom's breakfast, set it all for her. By the time we clean her upstairs and bring her, her breakfast is all set. So I really praise my husband for that. He was into it. And then, you know, when mom gets lost, we're all there out there looking. And he was, you know, his mom to died similar something like that but yeah. he didn't have the opportunity to take care of his mom that way so I'm really opportune to have had him around had my children uh, you know were all into it and I usually will always call my kids and talk to them you know that was my own way of counseling them and trying to encourage yeah. them. Uh, if I knew at that time, I would have given them some, taken them to some counseling, counseling some, yeah. like professional counseling. And I think we all needed it at that time. Yeah. I just want to say, if you get into a situation like that, where you feel like I'm overwhelmed, I can't do this anymore. You can, you know, seek for professional counseling, but I thought I had, I I mean, not thought, but I have a very strong family background. They were very, very supportive. So I thought in my own way, I really didn't need no professional counseling. But right now, going through all the emotions. So when we got back from
1: Cameroon, Mm -hmm. um,
0: it was That was when everything just done on done, me. Done, that, yeah.
1: That's a real My
0: mom is not here.
1: Yeah.
0: Even her room right now, I've not even had the courage to go in there to clean or pack her things or put her things together. Yeah. Because I still carry that emotion. And what I've done now, which I know is really eating me up, is I've cut down on my friends. I've, I run away from people. I used to go to church, be very active, but I just hate the fact that I go to church and people start saying, we're sorry. Crying yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: back. yeah. Makes you start
0: crying like a child. And yeah, so I've just distanced myself from a lot of people. Yeah, they said I've changed a lot, but some things happen in your life that make That's you true.
1: feel. That's true. That's true. Sometimes you feel
0: like you're strong enough. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes you have to even protect like your
1: own sanity because yeah. people yeah. don't know what you're going through internally. Yeah.
0: yeah. Exactly. So sometimes when you go out and smile, with people they don't know what you come back and, and
1: yeah, and deal with back. yeah. But yeah. um,
0: it's all good. They mean well. You yeah, it's yeah. Not like that, they, they, they wanna. And it's not only about um my mom uh, dealing with Gabby too with the history of sickle cell. Sickle we'll cell. Talk about that some other time. Yeah. Um, it was not an easy. I remember one time when Gabby was really, really sick, was in the hospital, and we had to deal with mom. I just called my brothers. I say, you know what? I can't take this anymore. You guys just stay with mom and let me stay with Gabby. I cannot be hopping. And I still have to go to work. I cannot go to the hospital, have to come deal with mom, and then I go to work again. So, and during that time, uh, Jabi, I was, that was when I was going through my doctorate program.
1: Yeah, yeah. How
0: I did that, only the Lord knows. But if you put your heart into something and you pray, honestly, God will see you through it because that is all I had. I so many times I thought of dropping out, but I said I've started this thing with so much loans that I've taken, I have to finish it. Yeah. I walk, I walk around everything that comes around me. My pastor used to say, What kind of woman are you? I said, Pastor, I'm the blessed one that God has created. So he has given me all this, but he has given me strength to go through it. So yeah. I have to go through it. I don't I don't I'm not gonna disgrace my God. Yeah. But I'm gonna do the things that, you know. He has put in my in my possession. So dealing with Gabby with her own issues and you know crisis is not easy. Crisis It's crisis yeah. that sometimes you even cry, beg God for her to die. Yeah. But, um, dealing with that and then coming home, seeing your mom, they, my life was just like a wreck. But um, yeah. I thank God that, that um, I was able to pull it through. Like I said, I had a lot of strong family background, cousins, uncles, friends who called or visit and all that. And so it kept me going. Um, it's just now that it, it, I'm, I, I'm in that state—not in a denial state, but I'm in an angry state right now. Angry in the sense that I feel my mom, the things that I've been keeping away, that I was gonna find out from my mom, or the things just to enjoy life after finishing school. I just, yeah, my mom, but um, I, I feel like that part of her life was stolen away from her. Yeah, and I didn't get to enjoy it so. I really hate to think about those three years because it's very traumatic, but um, I just want to remember mom for who she was. Yeah. Who she was and how she raised us and the kind of way she impacted us. She took care of my friends' children, a lot of them. Yeah, her, yeah. Some of them, even in her will, I realized she's putting their names. That mm. my daughter, t- you know, do this to them, do that to them. That's the kind of woman she was. Yeah. So, like I said, it's an opportunity to do what we did. Yeah, if yeah. any different... Um I don't know. I don't know what what I could have done because we basically did the best. Yeah, yeah. All. No, you you
1: you definitely did the best you you could. And I just want to take a quick moment to really celebrate you, Auntie, because you know, yesterday I was I was talking to my husband about you and I was telling him that I was going to interview you and you know, I could not stop praising you and I don't think I've ever really done that because when you had your twins, You know, I, and I visited, I visited you a couple of times. And every time when I even went to Michigan, I made sure that I tried to stop by the house to visit Mm -hmm. you. You know, you've been through so much in life. Like, I don't even, sometimes I look at you and I'm like, I don't even know how you have done it because you went through so much with your daughter who had sickle cell, you know. And I believe back then, uncle was not even working in the country. You were doing it all by yourself and with the help of Mama Lucy, you know, and, You know, to go through all of that, I mean, sickle cell is an ongoing thing, right? It's not like you just take meds and then you're done for life. No, like you have to always brace yourself for the worst, but expect the best, you know, every single time with your daughter. And, you know, I mean, just the whole in fact, I don't even only want to give you your flowers. I don't only want to, to celebrate you. I also want to celebrate even your children, even your husband, like your family. Because even having twins, you know, there's a lot of sibling rival rivalry, right? And then you see one of the twins is like progressing and then the other one is not catching up as much because of her health issues. You have to not only be strong for both of them, but you have to spend time explaining to the other one why she's you know, her sister is like this or explain to the sister why, you know, she cannot catch up to the other one. And then it's like, you have mama Lucy again and then to take care of. And then, you know, it's just, um, it's, it's unbelievable.
0: Let me give you one, one more. <laughs> Not only Mama Lucy, Mommy Angela was diagnosed. Oh, yeah, yeah, her. yeah.
1: And and Mommy Angela uh, as well. Oh, yeah.
0: somebody said your house is like
1: a hospital. Right, like, right. Yeah, Mommy <laughs> Angela had cancer as well. So, yeah. like, it, it's just like, oh, my God, when does it end? You know, <laughs> and you have all of those people to, to take care of. And then you still have to be a wife. You still have to be a mother. You still have to be right. a sister. You still have to right. be a, a student, a doctorate student. So it's just like, when do you even have time to... even spend with yourself like you just give yourself out all the time for all these years and you're still doing that you know so i just want to celebrate you i want to tell you that you have totally done the best that anybody could do and even more god has definitely been your source of strength because i don't think that could do all of that by yourself you know and i just want to let you know that you're doing the best that you can and you are doing it. You are such a trooper. Like you are doing it with flying colors, you know, and it's only you who can do it. Believe me, like nobody else can do it like you. So I know that you are in that stage of grief where you're just mad at maybe even God or just, you know, just you, you feel you feel robbed from, you know, yeah, you feel robbed, you know, by, you know, the time, like like by just by circumstances and you know they have robbed you off of the time that you should have spent with her or the things that you should have done but I just want to let you know that you couldn't have done it any better you know and I really hope that you can get to a better stage of that grief you know and take it easy on yourself just you know immerse yourself in the process immerse yourself in the moment you know and out of that grief i hope that you appreciate mama even more than you are and you just appreciate you know the reason for why certain things happen in life as you know it's said in the bible all things work together for our good you know so i just want to applaud you now i want us to highlight the stereotypes that especially members of our community attached to Alzheimer's. I don't think Alzheimer's is really being spoken about as much as it should. And a lot of people look at these old people. First of all, they, I remember they always call it OH or OH is bad. Or, or And then you have like even kids, for example, like even in our generation when we are growing up, you have all these old people with Alzheimer's. Either their families have just given up on them or like they're just laughing at them like, oh, this crazy man again, or they just literally waiting and tick tock tick tock for them to die, you know, like, and you know, to an extent, I probably will not even blame certain people because it's, it's from what you've said, it's not easy, especially with the aggression. It's one thing for them to even forget who you are. It's one thing for them to forget certain things. You can handle that. But when they start like even beating up the people or attacking the people that are meant to take care of them, it makes it even harder. It makes it even very harder. So I know that Alzheimer patients you know once they start exacerbating their symptoms or or when their symptoms are exacerbated it's like they're they become so highlighted that it overshadows the human behind that disease you know they are now defined by alzheimers and i really feel like we should try as much as possible especially as a community to maintain the human that we look at and not define them as based on their disease you know so like what do you have to say about that and what were the things that you did to preserve mama's the human side of mama's life and not the disease part of her life
0: you know when i when we finally finally got to know that she had that dementia and she started exhibiting all the signs and symptoms of it i decided to keep her to myself um i didn't tell a lot of people um because in an african community the stigma i wasn't scared about the stigma but i just wanted people to remember my mom for who she was yeah for what i what not for what i was dealing with in the house because Mm -hmm. she wasn't really bad but you know Sometimes people will come in and say, ah, I, how did you say mom has dementia? No, she doesn't have, she could remember me, she could call my name and all that. I'll just laugh and say, just enjoy it at the moment. Mm-hmm. Because you don't know what we go through when it's night or whatever. So it's just to uh, enlighten people that, that it, it's not what defines that person. Yeah. It is just like you have headache or you have high blood pressure or you have something that you're dealing with. It's unfortunate. Mine came as um as a surprise because honestly, I never ever I, de- I dealt with it in a medical field or see patients go through it. But it had never happened. Not nobody in my family saw I didn't know where it was coming from. So like yeah. I said, if my would deny like, no, this cannot be happening to my mom. And when things started going down and I saw her really going down and, you know, I just had to break myself. and said, this is what I'm going to deal with till the end of it. So let me keep myself abreast with everything. So I read a lot. I changed her diet. Some Everything I knew, learned that don't give this to an um, Alzheimer patient you know, give them this. Things that I'll go online and Google my kids will Google, mommy, give them, give her coconut oil, give her this. We're just buying anything to give her. The good thing is mom had a very good appetite. Mm-hmm. So we started, you know, well, like I said, when she started getting aggressive, we had to put her on those psychotic medications, which I really didn't like to put her there mm-hmm. on them. But I had to just to calm that aggressive, be part side of it, you know. Um, so we just have to, you know, love the person for who they are and, and educate ourselves with this disease it's not something that we. it's very common in, in an african setting yeah but now it's coming a lot now a yeah lot of parents are dying with this thing i have two of my friends who are dealing with it right now not actually three. three oh my so when mom was going through it they called me and said vivian i'm dealing with that too I'm, I'm, I'm like, what? You know, parents, you will never expect that will get, go down, but they'll tell me what they are going through. So we just, it's like, you're keeping it to yourself. You don't want, like I said, even to take my mom to church, people will be like, why don't you bring her to church? I say, you know what? She's fine at home. I'll put her online and she'll sit here and watch the church service.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I was taking her away from the public. Like I said, not so people would define her by that Alzheimer's disease yeah. because she had changed. She had I mean, she would talk. You cannot hold a conversation with her because she would just say up, jabberish. And, you, and I don't want people to yeah get down on her like do, just yeah. she's getting crazy and yeah. all of that. So that's why I kept her home all the time. If she has to go for a doctor's appointment or I have to take her for a ride just so she could see the, you know, get some breeze or we go to the store. Sometimes I'll just hold her hand or put her in a wheelchair and just walk around. That's the way um, I was dealing with it. And when I took her home, I know when she died, her friends, most of her friends came, a few of her friends came and really attacked me. Like, why didn't you tell me? I said, Ma, you would not even have recognized her or she would not have recognized you. What was the purpose? They were, mm-hmm. Like, what's the end? Mm-hmm. What was the purpose of it Or I, I just didn't see any need. And I don't want you guys to remember her for what she, what she went through. But just give her that honor and respect her for what you know her to be. Yeah. So... It is, it is just a, a, a terrible disease. Like I said, it's progressive. It, starts, it might start mild, it depends, and then it starts progressing to when it gets to the terminal one where they don't talk anymore, they don't eat, they just sit and just look at the walls. You talk to them, they don't move and all of that they finally die out of it. So it's something that your family has to come together. Like I said, educate themselves about that disease, especially how to take care of. So it's very, very, very challenging. It's very challenging, trust me. And if you don't know how to do it, you'll get so frustrated. Like you say, they just abandon them and don't want to take care of them. And that's why some of them go on the street and they call them mad people, you know? So if you don't have that strong family background that can stand with you during that time and walk that journey with you it it's really sad to yeah. see uh, some of our parents go through the things that they go through after they have worked all their life to raise you I and know. They end up like that
1: That's very true that's very true and that's very unfortunate as well you know it's like you work all your life and then when you want to really enjoy the fruits of your labor then something just takes you away you know thank you so much Auntie for sharing that now um what advice will you give to members of our community those who are not really familiar with this disease or those who are actually going through the same thing or a similar experience or you know those who are taking care of their loved ones who have alzheimer's dementia yeah i think
0: i'll advise them to seek for help they have to definitely seek for help. Yeah, they might put them on those medications and all that, but seek for, for help for, I mean, those of us that have gone through it, I don't mind telling you how I managed mine or who to contact or what to do and all of that, or what kind of things to do to help them. Like I said, they need to seek, if you want to seek psychological help, if you really don't have that strong family background, like some people really don't, they're just managing yeah. it by themselves and trying to make ends meet, you know, seek a, 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 a professional uh, help. They'll walk you through the process, and they'll, you know, help you go through that. Or if you feel like you say you can't handle it, you—it's—it's it's not. Don't don't guilt yourself, and don't feel bad. Like I was doing, I know it's hard to say you want to take your parents, being an African to a nursing home. Yeah. It's really hard. But if you feel that it gets to that point where you cannot, sometimes you have, you can even take them like I did for respite care, put them for like a week and get some mental break or just get some time off so you can refresh and recoup and then, get them back home and then try to readjust so many things in your house like you have to like what I did we had cameras in the house we had to change all the locks like upstairs coming down the stairs I had to put like a board like a door mm-hmm. to lock it like when we're sleeping at night so she doesn't get up and fall like she did in Maryland in my mm-hmm. sister's house so yes mm-hmm. there's, there's so much adjustments that you have to make and you have to be always be on the alert sometimes mom will get up in the night open one door after the other open you just have to go down and say mom let me take you back to Your room, and you take her back to her room, and Mm. you know that's just what it is. And sometimes you say, "Mom, go to your room. Where is my room?" You have to always learn how to redirect them. Yeah, don't do it in a patient way. Yeah, you have to be very, very, very patient. You cannot do it in a mean way because
1: everything you aggravate them.
0: Yeah, and yeah, and then the things that they usually like to do before you know before they got into this, they got themselves into this disease, or they this they had went through this disease. Try to bring those things out. Like I said, my mom likes singing. She likes, uh, you know, going looking at pictures. Her family was just her part of her life, and so we're all there for her. And like, and I'll play music. Like my, I didn't. We're not watching, not nothing else, but just playing Christian music twenty four seven whenever she yeah. was at home. And then I had to even. Take, put a bed in my living room put a bed a little bed there so that if she's tired she can rest there I got recliner chairs for her so wherever she finds you know it was just what it was and then when she started becoming incontinent I had to now subscribe and start getting you know supplies of all her stuff coming to the house and it was just like not like it was just like I had a baby in the house yeah you know? yeah so just see yourself taking care of a big baby and that's what it was and don't don't feel like oh this is Punishment? Why me? Yeah, there were sometimes I asked why me, but I I took it with grace. I said, "This is my mother. I couldn't have been anybody else. Mm. I have the I have every right to take care of my mom, and I thank God that I I had to that she was not in Cameroon that I could not reach her to do the things that I did for her. Yeah, um, not everybody has the opportunity to bring their mom here. Some of them are home and they're sick, but you know, seek for help, get somebody or pay somebody to. Like I had to. Do, I mean, I spent so much money which is not even what if i could spend more to keep my mom alive i'll do mm-hmm. that but i had to get a house get a nanny equip the house did everything mm-hmm. make it comfortable a house that has a fence so she doesn't wander around i didn't want to put you know all of that on anybody but all the intention all the intent and purposes of sending her home was mm-hmm. to go meet her family and like a, you know just enjoy the red the little Time, time that, that she to had, had to left to yeah leave. And, and um and you know that is what it is so when i finally came to the fact that you know what i am not gonna keep hiding this woman away from people yeah i told sandra i said you have to start taking her to church so the week, <laughs> the week that we had agreed for her to start taking her to church, well, she took her to another church, but the Presbyterian church, where my mom, you know, everything she did in her life was. So when they registered her to start going back to church and start taking communion, she didn't make it up to that Sunday. So, oh. Yeah.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, Auntie. You had actually mentioned about, the, you know, us as Africans, especially getting... Accustomed or at least used to the idea of like assisted sending our family members to assisted living or. You know, another thing I was also thinking, another thing is also the whole idea of hospice. You know, I feel like we as Africans, we we, we shy away. We think, oh, you're sending your person to hospice. It means you're praying that they should die or something like, or, you know, assisted living means that you don't care about them. But, you know, the way life is set up here in America, at some point we have to come to that agreement that, hey, this is what it is. You know, if you had it another way, you probably should have been able to take care of these people. But. Unfortunately, if you want to still keep your job or at least still, you know, these are like rational decisions that have to be made, you know, not with emotion, but just with rational thinking in Mm -hmm. order to, you know, at least keep some level of sanity within your own family, you know, and within your own life because or at least even have some kind of normalcy because life could get really hectic here. And, you know, a lot of people are suffering from that guilt that they will feel if they want to send their person to either assisted living or hospice and stuff like that, you know, and I feel like that's actually something that I would like to talk about. I just need to find the right people to, you know, to maybe the right experts or the right people that can give additional insight to those things, you know, just to encourage our people to make use of those facilities or those services that are being offered, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, Like I said, I work on the hospice unit and um, a lot of African-Americans, not only Africans, Africans, Americans as a whole, they really do not like hospice, putting their patient on hospice care. They feel like, oh no, this is a disappointment. I didn't, we didn't, we didn't plan for this. It's like, you know, so most of our hospice patients are are the Caucasians and, you know, the African-Americans, they don't. And um, being a clinical nurse manager, I have to sit in some committees and some meetings with them. I used to ask them, like, why don't you want to put, oh, no, 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 no. That's not our culture. That's not our this. Mm. We can't do it. So like I said, it's a cultural thing. The way we were brought up from Africa, like you said, they say when you're in Rome, you do what the Romans do, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but we still have that spirit of guilt in us. That's what I had. That's why I could not even see myself put my mom in a nursing home. But in hindsight, maybe I should have done that. For the three months that I had to take her home, mm-hmm. and then just keep monitoring all yeah you know, get a plan of care with the with the with the management in that place and yeah children. What it is. I think I should have done that. Yeah. That's, that's what, that's my little regret right there. So let's not feel bad that we, it's not a failure thing. Unless right. The failure thing will be like when you go dump them there and don't go back to visit them. Visit, that yeah. When you fail them. But when you're there every so often, two, three, four times a day, a week, mm-hmm. to see them, make sure, you know, take their clothes, clean them, go back there, feed them, even get lunch with them, spend some time with them, yeah. you know, all together and all that, that will make a whole lot of difference because mm-hmm. I walked in some these nursing homes and honestly some families just abandon their people there and they really don't come by but that is not what we want for our loved ones we should learn how to do that and don't have that guilt so long as you're still as you're still an impactful person in that person's life mm-hmm. so uh, um let's not feel that way and just like i said the stigma that people feel like ohama means you're crazy yeah does. It, it just make a lot of Africans don't want to talk about it yeah that's my true. mom went through this that i started telling people that my mom were I believe mom has said, what? Mommy Lucy, dementia, how did that happen? He said, you know, my mom too is going through it. So, you know, that kind of a thing. I said, why didn't you say it? He said, "Masa that thing, I don't even want to say it. But we are in so much denial. Yeah, We are in so much, we feel like it's a shameful thing. It's like a tarnish in the family, in the family circle that we don't want to talk about it. No, we have to talk about it. We have to make others know that this thing is not only impacting you alone, it's, it, it, it touches every anybody, it can touch anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, so that when, like for instance, now my friend, my friend just told me ah, now dealing with your mom i know that if anything happens to my mom i'm calling you because you have you know so much you have so much knowledge about this thing that i cannot even handle the emotional part of it so it is what it is so we we should always learn to open up and talk with not go spread it out in the community or announce it in whatever that your mom has but you know the important people that matter people that will pray with you people that will stand with you and for you people that will advise you and tell you all even just tell you that go apply for this service here or go apply for this here. Because my brothers my brother was trying to find out where we can take mom to where these older people. I said no mom has dementia you cannot take her to old people where americans or white people where she will go sit there and don't even know who to talk or how yeah to talk. I said, that's not a good environment for her you know i said i will better leave for her in this house than take her where she'll go there and become so miserable yeah and you know and that it, it, that's just my own point and like i said that was the little fights that i was having with my brothers trying to get what help we have to get for her but but being in the field uh, uh you know knowing what it was and how to deal. i mean what what we had in front of us it prepared me so much for the for the unforeseen the things that you know even though things turn out the way it turned out she became a little not a little she became so aggressive yeah we handled it with graves we took all the beatings and everything because she was our mom but you know my mom too was a no-nonsense
1: person yeah yeah (laughs) that's true i remember
0: when i was telling her Auntie, when we went back to Cameroon, that she was beating the hell out of us she said you know she was a no-nonsense too so this one was just a manifestation of right right yeah wow wow
1: thank you so much auntie for sharing this story I learned a lot, honestly. And, you know, I just have even more admiration for you and Cromwell and all of your other brothers and family members. I just want to end with, you know, asking you, how can people reach you and maybe support, maybe to get insight or advice or to support any cause that you're passionate about?
0: Um, I'm, I'm trying to um, start up a foundation for Gabriela Sickle Cell Foundation. Um, Mm -hmm. that will be launched just I had to launch it this year but I think I'll push it a little further because of all what is going on now with um, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I mean so many things threw me off guard yeah so um I'm trying to launch a sickle cell foundation where uh when I intend to I actually intend to go back and settle back home it's just because of the um yeah situation yeah home Because I wanted to get a hydration center where these kids would come and get hydrated. I was already working with some companies for medications for them. It's just a cost that I want to handle. And my mom now adding on to dementia and Alzheimer's. I think I'm going to add that under my plate. Um, Mm So just to help, you know, it's my own little way of saying it has touched me. And um, how can I help? How can I help my people? Mm -hmm. You know, I work a lot. I, like I said, I'm a doctorate student. I'm a doctorate uh, nurse, Mm -hmm. a nurse with a doctorate degree. And I've written so many um, research papers on sickle cell, which I'm trying to research about. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel, but I'm reading about Alzheimer's to get a better picture of um, what this disease and the toll it takes on people and, going from the experience that I've had. So what I have in mind or what I had in mind is to start a, a sickle cell foundation back in Cameroon for in in honor of Gabby. Mm-hmm. That's my daughter who has sickle cell mm-hmm. because that's her that's all what she had told me. Mommy, how can we help people in Cameroon? I hear they are dying young and all of that. I'm privileged to be in the US. I'm having all these treatments mm-hmm. and and they don't have that opportunity. So My husband and I, we have that in mind to go set up something. Um, Mm -hmm. Just because of these political issues now, it's slowing down a lot of stuff, but that's what we have in mind. Hopefully, by the end of this year or early next year, we're going to go operational and I'll let the world know about Mm -hmm. what our plans are. But if you want to reach me, my number is 313-920-1977. Mm-hmm. My email address is Dr. D-R-M-A-N-G-Y-E, Dr. Mange, 2020 at gmail.com.
1: Okay. Thank you so much, Auntie. Thank you so much for sharing that. And we're going to have that in the, the, the show notes as well for anyone who wants to reach out to you. Now, what last words do you have to our listeners before we wrap up the conversation?
0: Well, I just want to thank you for giving me this opportunity to open up. Honestly, I've not opened up my live and cry <laughs> in front of the camera before. But it's been such an, um, um, an honorable journey for me and my family to have gone through what it was. It's like, like I said, I'm still in that process of it. My mom, we just buried my mom in April Yeah, and, um, we just got back here. So we're trying to pick up the pieces and try to move on. It is not easy. It's easier to say, oh, just it's okay. It's not okay. You feel like a piece of you was taken away. Yeah. And, um, I feel, I really feel that void because my mom lived with me for all those years yeah. and I just see her everywhere in this house.
1: Yeah. But, um,
0: um, it's an honor to have taken care of her, to do the things my brothers and I and my family were able to do for her. She was a wonderful person. She, um, she died a wonderful person and I appreciate God for giving her to us, even though I still question why she had to go the way she, I'm a human being, so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that's part of like, grief. That's part I really of grief.
0: have that anger in me. And every time I think of that three years, I just, I just cry. Like my mom yeah. didn't have to do that. But um, it is what it is. Um, I, I just want to thank you for this time. Thank um, you, Auntie. To be able to share my mom's life with you. I hope it makes an impact or it touches somebody that is going through the same thing that I've gone through or we've gone through. Yeah. And just be encouraged and don't give up. Yeah, um, they'll say in uh, Cameroon this thing that God doesn't give you nails or crawl crawl without nails to scratch you. Uh,
1: uh, that you know, so, right? Um, I've never heard that before. That he
0: doesn't give you the strength to handle. <laughs> handle so yeah. Give us the strength to handle everything that we went through, yeah. Or we're still going through, and um, I miss my mom so, so yeah. much. Yeah, um, yeah. I still have a picture right there with a the candle lighting there every day. I don't know when that will go down, but it's just the memories and the fun times that I had with my mom. If I didn't love my mom, I would have just forgotten her and moved on. But yeah. she was just a fan of me. And um, I, I am honored to have been her daughter. And I know she's proud of me for the yeah. that, um, yeah. taking care of her. She wanted me to be who I am today. And I fulfilled that promise for her. Unfortunately, she wasn't there, there to, to see, see all the achievements that I've had. Yeah, Even in the midst of her her health a issues, health, yeah. and her health problems, but I still went through it just to tell her that mom, I could do it. And I know she's my guardian angel right now. I, Without any doubt, I know mm-hmm. my mom is watching over me. And I love her so much, and I'll do too whenever I'll meet her.
1: Yes, thank you so much, Auntie. That was such a great honor that you had for your mom, and you showed your mom as well. And may her gentle soul rest in perfect peace. And I just want to thank you for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to have this conversation. I really look forward to more conversations with you. It's always a pleasure having conversations with you. There's always something to learn from you. There's always an extra admiration to have for you. So I really want to thank you so much. And I, like you said, I hope that our listeners learn something from this conversation and also spark the same type of conversations within their circles and check on their loved ones to really see how they're doing because Alzheimer's dementia is not an easy disease to handle especially for the caretakers as well so I want to thank you so much and I will talk to you on another episode because I know we still have more to talk about thank you (laughs) thank you it was my pleasure same here auntie bye
0: Anyo fambad thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another